Well, hello, y'all, and welcome to Talk Back. That is the podcast of the Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. This is week two of our study of the letter of the Ephesians. My name is Emily Wright, and I'm gathered here with two of our pastors, Stephen Finkel and Kevin Ireland. And we are going to dive right in to chapter two. So, and Stephen's going to start us off. Yeah, well, this is uh, an incredible chapter. It's short uh, and sweet and direct. And one of the things I appreciate about this chapter is that Paul is really honing in on his audience, the Greeks. And you see a lot of that represented in the first uh, couple verses where he uses language that seems really, really foreign to us, but didn't at all to uh, the folks that he was writing to in their time period. Um, for example, I'll just read the first two verses. Uh, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So the ruler of the power of the air really catches uh, my eye because I didn't know right off the bat who that was. Uh, are we talking about Satan? Are we talking about someone who rules the sky? And uh, this really roots itself in Greek philosophy and the understanding of, of how the world was working around them. Um, they believed there was a big division between the earth and heaven. Heaven was perfect and good and the earth was really bad. And what's in between is what he's talking about here. And the Greeks believed that, you know, in the sky were these powers that were trying to tease them into sinning that uh, would invite them into their fleshly lusts, uh, as you would say, and really creates this fascinating barrier between heaven and earth that if you look up and, and heaven is where God is, there's actually a lot of tricks and um it's just not a clear vision straight to heaven. Uh, there, there's conflict and and all of these things. And so, um, another thing he talks about in in these first ten verses, at least, is about our flesh. He talks a lot about how our flesh is really the center of sin, and everything, all of sin, really comes out of that. Um, and that's something else that would have really struck home for the audience that he was listening to. Um, because the wealthy were able to indulge in uh, wine and sex and all of these things that the poor could not. Um, and so he's also laying some found some some groundwork for verses 11 through 22 as well as he's talking about the flesh because he can talk about the flesh of Christ as well. And so I'll, I'll hand it off there. I want to ask you, though, because I hadn't thought about it. Do you think that there's any possibility that he was speaking into Greek mythology? Yes, absolutely. Right? And so yeah. I was thinking that when you said that about how there would have been so many non-religious who would have thought um, the there's someone who controls the skies, there's someone who yeah. controls the sea. Yeah. Um, and I and I just had never made that connection until you pointed that out. And I think that that's it was it was very covert because he doesn't use the name Zeus. You know, he doesn't use the name the names of um any of those Greek mythological gods, but he says that. And I just had never thought about that. It's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a really smart way of kind of capturing an, an ethos or a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to note, we said this last week, but it's for the listener. I want to make sure you know that when we say Paul, we don't just mean Paul, the person of Paul. We mean Pauline thought, because we don't know if it was Paul that wrote this. It's not as clear as some of the other books, but we do know that Paul had was had a huge following and so would have had a lot of disciples um, so we'll say Paul, but we really mean Pauline thought. So just to make sure y'all understand where we're headed. That's, that, yeah, that's really good and really helpful for this too, because what Paul's trying to say is, um, you know, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of, the, short of the glory of God, no matter what faith background we come from, no matter where we were born, we all sin. And then he wants to make it clear there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's all about the powerful saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. And um, that's something I think also that that lands in our culture and our time and place really, really clearly where we're used to um, working hard and gaining something. Um, we can do it in academics. We can do it in finances. We can do it in all kinds of areas of our lives. Yet we cannot, Paul's making it clear, we cannot do that with our faith. Our faith is a mm-hmm. gift from God. It's a gift. It's not something we can earn. And that's actually the hardest part, I think, of this message for anyone in any culture in any time, because we are used to we're working for what we want, what we need, what we get. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kevin? Well, I, I love the insight into thinking about this in the context of the mythology and uh, religious cultures of that time. Um, Ephesus was the home of one of the largest temples, one of the seven wonders of the world in the temple of Artemis. And people made pilgrimages to that temple from around uh, the, the Mediterranean to ask things of God to connect to this other sort of worldly thing. Obviously, there were a lot of pleasures of the flesh that Paul is concerned about uh, at that temple as well. But it really, uh, Stephen, that that same thing jumped out at me when I was going back and reading, like, who is this ruler of the air? Who is this prince of the air? And it struck me as I was looking through the chapter how there's this um, kind of parallelism or uh, repeated sort of image of separation and togetherness. So this this uh, prince of the air is the separation between the creation and the heavenly bodies. It what is lays in between us and God at times or what can be perceived in that way. It's that that separation that maybe Augustine talks about when when he talks about evil as being the absence of God. So you have this this separation, this this void that we can't get past, even if we go to the temple of Artemis. And yet you have this beautiful line of how we are made alive together with or in Christ, that this is how we get this rebirth. This is the gift of this grace, is this togetherness with Christ. Um, and I just, for, for me, this really, uh, this morning especially, just really hit me that the, the, the salvific work of Christ in, in Paul's thinking here and in this bringing together of the, the creation and the heavenlies is through us, is through, I mean, it, it happens in our hearts and it happens in our church. And, and later on at the end, when he talks about 
built together spiritually, we will be a dwelling place for God. That's how he concludes the chapter. And that's a, a, a plural we, that's a y'all, y'all. You know, that's that's a we, the church, is the dwelling place to God. We, the church, are the, the thing that brings the heavenlies and the creation together, that we somehow are a part of that is just uh, awe-inspiring and, and always sort of causes me wonder that... Uh, in his thinking in that way, especially given the the context of the time when it seemed so far away, when you had to go make pilgrimages to a temple, when you had to, you know, continually rely on this sort of um, mediation. And and I think Paul's trying to say there's there's a bigger God here. There's a bigger way of looking at this thing. Yeah. And you mentioned that last week about how this seems to be a recurring theme that I did not know was going to be a recurring theme in Ephesians is that this is not something for later. Mm-hmm. That this is not something that because like this dualism of everything up there is so perfect, that because of Christ, that we actually have this access now. And in the the, the verse that really points to that is when he says, "He." this is verse 14, for he, as in Christ, is our peace in his flesh, in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. It wasn't in his spirit. It wasn't in his his godly, it wasn't in the things that were, you know, more other. It was actually in the very thing that is like us. And so I think that's also Paul really pushing against this thinking that there is potential for the flesh to do evil. And we see that in, in the book of, of Romans a lot. But it was only that God chose to do it through the flesh to realize that flesh can be redeemed. There is the possibility in this life for our very bodies to do wonderful things. Um, One of the application things I want us to consider is that, and we talked about this yesterday in our pastor's meeting, is that that I, in my days of going to a very, being part of a very conservative evangelical campus ministry where there was so much emphasis on the spirit is life. Heaven is where we want to go. This idea of telling people about Jesus because you don't want them to go to hell. It was this, the the body is bad, you know? And so there, it was as someone who really, who still to this day, you know, struggles with body image dysmorphia and all of those things all that did was feed that fire that just fed it. And it was like, yeah, actually my body is bad. And that has taken, I mean, I'm still trying to recover from that, but I know that other people, it has affected the way that they view themselves as a sexual being, the way they've been able to be intimate with other people, um, that it, it really did a lot of damage. And, but if you read, if you read it within context, if you read the whole book, you see that that he wasn't saying flesh is bad. He was saying, yes, the flesh has the potential to be bad, but oh my gosh, Christ changed that. Absolutely. You know, Dirty Dancing was on TV over the weekend and I had never watched it beginning to end. So I finally did. And I'm a preacher's kid. So, um, it was a really amazing film. And, uh, I was, I was reminded of, I was born in 84, so kind of on the edge, you know, I was unawares, but 
what it does say, and I think what Paul is trying to say here too, is that you know power does exist in the world. It does exist. There is evil power. There is there is good power. What power do we have, and how will we choose to use it? Um, there's we are a redemptive body as as Christians. We can use our flesh, our bodies, our minds, our spirits. God has given us authority to use um, ourselves as conduits of the Holy Spirit to work in this world, to be a reconciling body, to to maybe be people that dance and celebrate good news when we hear it, um, to, to embody Christ on this planet, on this earth, to do to do what God has called us to do. Um, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid um, to do the right thing, to do what God calls us to do. And um, I think that's another message uh, in, in this passage too. There's a freedom that comes in. It's not about us. It's not about our works. It's about the gift of God. Now live with this gift on earth until Christ continues his work beyond us. Um, we have a call, we have a power to use. Um, the power of love, kindness, goodness, there, there's, we could go on and on. I hope that someone is realizing the irony of you using dirty dancing <laughs> <laughs> as the reference here, as a preacher's kid who was, you were never allowed to watch that movie. No. Uh, uh, well, we won't go down that road. I was thinking Footloose. There's your other yeah. one. That's, the, but, literally yeah. what you just said, Stephen is listen to this, this last verse, it says, well, the last two verses in Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Mm -hmm. Like the body becomes a place for Christ to dwell within. Um, any thoughts on that, Kevin? Well, I yeah, that's that's what really had popped out to me um, as I was reading this morning and thinking about these these walls that are broken down also and that maybe this is part not just between, you know, Paul is most likely talking about Jews and Gentiles, right, in, in this sense. But what are the walls that we have that we need to break down now as a church? Where, where is the church called to bring things together, whether they be political or, you know, walls around sexuality and, and gender and body issues or walls about nationalism and how we prioritize ourselves above other people in the world? I mean, there are all of these spaces um, that I think um, that we're challenged to do this reconciling work that Pastor Stephen is talking about, um, that, that we are empowered to do it. That's the more important thing, that we are empowered to do it by uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit, that, that this is the, the, the work of the kingdom that the church is called to do, and this, this kind of unifying work um, is where the church reveals God in the world. So I, I love that you, you lifted that up, Stephen. And I think that that's a, that should be the kind of the, the challenge mm. for those that are listening is to consider, you know, if in fact we are the dwelling place that God, that's like you said, like that, for some reason, God chose that. Then what, where can we be reconciling? Where can we be peace to those who are near and those who are far and, uh, and live into that at our church um, in our workplaces, in our schools, um, and to take that seriously, knowing that it is not by our own strength. 
That goes back to the first bit. It's not by anything that we've done. It's only because of the grace of God um, and how we could use that for God's glory. So, all right, y'all tune in again. Thank you. Peace.